Hello everybody and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where, um, I don't know, sounds sounds happen sometimes. Cue a sound. That was a good one. Thank you. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. Uh, I write for Slash Film. Oh yeah, I write for The Rap. And, uh, and... Uh, you can call me whatever you like. Yeah. And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing the new releases Orphan, First Kill, Beast, and Glorious. Bunch of movies. Uh, th- well, three movies. Three <laughs> movies. It's actually a little low for us. Yeah, well, I was I was rather busy this last week, so that's best I've, I can do. I've been watching a lot, but I got I got in all three of those, so I'm happy to talk about them. Yay! Uh, can we talk about Orphan? You want to talk about Orphan first? Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, because I I was there for Orphan. Uh, <laughs> when the original the sequel or both? The original Orphan. Oh yeah. Uh, the original Orphan came out in 2009. It was one of those films that. Like, it snuck up on horror audiences. It was mm. kind of released in the theaters, not really meaning to get any traction. It was just it was just a programmer, you know, like a kind of a scary flick that would, like, kind of just... Had a pretty good cast. It had uh, Vera Farmiga and... Uh, was it Peter Sarsgaard was the dad in that? I forgot who the dad was in Orgasm. I think it was Peter Sarsgaard. Vera Farmiga. Yeah, Peter Sarsgaard Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard. C.C.H. Pounder was in it. Yeah, they they adopt a young girl and... It turns out she might be a creepy kid. And turns out she's a creepy kid. And a bunch of creepy kid stuff happens. And it's one of those movies where... Um, she put th- she uh, wants to curry favor with the dad and starts attacking the mom and, the, yeah. and her, like her little brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's like Russian serial killer child. Yeah. It's a, it's a movie... And here's the thing with Orphan. It's kind of, it's kind of frustrating. Um, the movie has a twist. Like a lot of horror and thriller movies do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a twist... I guessed from the poster, but uh, <laughs> which is never a good start. Still a fun movie, but like I, you know, it's, it's I, I was a little, I was a little ahead too, of the yeah. movie, but that's fine. Uh, but the problem with that is um, the twist changes so much of the film uh, that by the time they're doing the sequel, they assume you know it. So if by any chance you missed Orphan and you go directly into Orphan First Kill within. Three minutes, they lay it all out for you. Oh no, they, they give you the whole backstory. They give you the right, whole backstory. Right in they the, assume you know. The first minutes of, of Orphan First Kill. So, so before we jump into Orphan First Kill, I just want to throw it out there: if for whatever reason you really wanted to watch Orphan without knowing anything about it, skip ahead. We have in the description of the uh, podcast a time code, and you mm. can skip ahead to the next review because we cannot talk about anything that happens in Orphan First Kill. Without talking about the twist the from end, Orphan, the because Orphan. they just they assume you know. Yeah. So if here's your opportunity, you can skip ahead now. You can watch it later. Boom. We good? All right. We're good. Uh, so Orphan First Kill, uh, switching studios, which is a little odd. Um, yeah. This one's uh, being released in theaters and on Paramount Plus simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start in uh, Estonia, an Estonian mental facility. Yeah. Where uh, the the girl that would come to be known as Esther mm-hmm. is living. Uh, Esther, as we learned in the first film, is actually not a little girl. She is actually a grown woman uh, with a, a glandular issue that prevents her from physically aging. And as a result, everyone looks and responds to her as if she's a child, but actually she's an adult. But she's not she's just a- an adult, she's an adult with the homicidal tendencies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
in the first orphan, uh, one of her big motivations is she's fallen in love with the dad. Yeah. And now wants to kill off the family so she mm. can be with him. The first movie, by the way, and, mm. and the second one is maybe to a lesser extent. Uh, the first movie you described as one of the most irresponsible movies ever made. <laughs> it's, it's really irres- It's like, really trash. It's, it's, it's got the, it's a so one, wonderfully trash, like uh, murdering children and uh, mm-hmm. scenes where it looks like some weird incest stuff is going on. Like yeah. it, it just rolls with all of all of that. It's stuff. very twisted. And, it's very twisted. And this one also feels a lot like. Uh, but for a few moments of like violence and viciousness, this could be like kind of a lifetime movie. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's got that whole uh, because in the in Orphan first, ki- so the idea that Esther, who is played uh, really Isabel well Furman, by the way by yeah. is- Isabel Furman, who was in the Hunger Games, she was in that really excellent movie. Oh, what was it called last year? She was in this really excellent movie last year where she uh, played a, a college student who was uh, pushing herself to the breaking point in order to be the best person on their rowing team. It's called oh, The Novice. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see that yeah, one. She, you said that was really good. Excellent movie. Great uh, directorial debut by Lauren Hathaway uh, and Isabel Furman. It was a tough year, but she really should have at least been in the conversation for like mm-hmm. award season. She's really, really good in that movie. So I'm a fan. She's excellent. Um, in this movie, she's a few years older now, uh, and they use some digital trickery in order to age her down a bit, but she still looks very young, so mm-hmm. they don't have to do too much. It's not too distracting. Um, it, it, Isabel Furman, um, when she made the first Orphan, she was still she was young. Still she was like yeah. 12 when they when she made it. That uh, long ago? Yeah, it was 2009, dude. <laughs> Jesus, it was. Wow. Uh, God, time flies. So, yeah, so she's in her mid-20s now um, yeah. and playing the same role, so good good on her for coming back and sticking, mm-hmm. with, sticking with the sequel. Yeah, but in any case, uh, that was the twist, she, yeah. is that she's an adult, and so in this movie, they kind of just have to run with it. This is a prequel. Uh, the title is a lie. At no point in this movie do we see her make her first kill. Oh, um, that's fine. They specifically uh, say that she's killed before, which is mm. annoying, but whatever. Yeah, the, we're given exposition to a character that's completely meaningless. Someone mm. says, oh, I'm going to come mm. in, I'm going to do art therapy at this mental mm-hmm. health facility. And and uh, they lead her through. It's like, oh, you don't want to mess with... Uh, it, her name isn't Esther yet, but you don't no, want to mess I forget with what it, Her name is like Rena or something? Mm. I'll look it up. See if I can find that. You, you don't want to mess with her because she's she's uh, you know, lies to everybody. Lena, 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 Lena Clamor. <laughs> she she's going to she's going to kill you and she's going to try to sneak out and she's going to murder you and take your things and yeah. And, and guess and, what happens? And yeah, she says, "Oh no, I can probably talk to her." No, there's a, a bloodbath right at the beginning, and, and yeah. she gets to kill some people and seduce mm. her way outside, and she escapes the mental health facility. Uh, she finds. A database of missing children mm-hmm. finds a child she just happens to look a lot alike, mm-hmm. and and who uh, went missing also, long enough ago yeah. that the age would match up based on what she looks yeah. like. Yeah, and uh, that's where she gets the name Esther. That's the name of the missing child. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she decides to pose as the child, uh, this child that's been missing for a number of years, and reunite with this American family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mom is played by Julia Stiles, and golly, she is so good in this movie. She's great in this movie, <laughs> by the way. Julia Stiles is an actress. I don't think... She was briefly a pretty big star at the turn of the century. She was oh, in yeah, 10 late, Things late I Hate About You. Early 2000s, she was a huge, huge... 10 Things I Hate About You, Save the Last Dance, a mm-hmm. couple other biggies as well. Uh, she was really she was in great. The, in the first Bourne movie. She was in the first Bourne movie, and I think she was in the fourth one I remember she was in the other two but um, she was really really great her career for whatever reason 
you know, she she didn't get like big roles for a while, but she's coming back. And this movie right here is like, oh, Julia Stiles is back and doing interesting things. <laughs> and when you see how her role plays out, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Julia Stiles plays the mom. Uh, the dad is an actor I'm not familiar with. Uh, he's uh, a professional painter. She comes from old money. There's so she, an old... she too is a painter, and mm. and she and the dad will bond over painting, and that is significant. Uh, Esther is, by the way, not yeah. Julia Stiles. Uh, and then uh, she has a brother named Gunner, uh, played by Matthew Finlan. Uh, and and her, he, he's, like, he's I, such a piece of he, shit. He's like a delightful piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> he's it's... such an asshole. Uh, the father is played by Rossif Sutherland. I'm unfamiliar with his work. Um, and uh, basically, yeah, so she... This is a fa- family in, in America. She's able to be sent to America. She's it's, been it's gone. A very, very rich family too. They yeah. have a mansion. They've been, the the timeline is a little inconsistent. Sometimes she's been gone four years. Sometimes she's been gone two. Mm-hmm. It feels like a rewrite happened she, halfway uh, through production or something. But she's been gone. Not a big say, deal. Let's say she's been gone four years. Long, long enough for the family to have given up hope mm-hmm. and enough enough time for her to be able to say that she developed an accent in Estonia. Yeah. Uh, because she doesn't speak she, with an American Because she was dialect. kidnapped to Estonia. Yeah. And also long enough for her to have developed a personality sort of beyond them, mm. which explains why she can do things like play, play piano when she couldn't before. Mm. That kind of deal. Uh, um, and she starts ingratiating herself into the family. And the initial idea is she uses them to come to America. She gets to know them just well enough that they lower their guard. Then she's planning to steal all their shit and leave. Mm. But then... She falls in love with the dad. She has got a type, <laughs> and it is dad's. Um, you know, and so she insists on staying around just, long uh, after pe- she probably know, should have. Pe- people have dating patterns. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that, is that, we're just going to let it go there. Uh, uh, and, but then, but So the first yeah. act plays itself out in actually a very trite fashion. It's, it's exactly what you'd expect. Yeah. Same kind, it's, it's all slickly put together, and it's all mm-hmm. really professionally done, but it is the same kind of mm. uh, foreboding, and yeah. you know she's squirreling things away in her room, the and only, she makes friends with a rat behind the wall. The and, only real difference uh, is that we see her side, like we know she's faking it, mm. so every once in a while, She'll do something like accidentally say something like, oh, I can't wait to see her. Oh, she died when you were five. Don't you remember, honey? Oh, yeah. And then I have to go to the bathroom now. And she goes to the bathroom like, stupid. <laughs> She's kind of slapping herself Damn in the it. face. No, yeah. stop it. Stop offering them information. I know yeah, and, better than this. And it, it, it all seems like this is going to be a, a liar revealed story. Eventually, mm-hmm. she's she's going to slip up at some point. She's going mm-hmm. to get, get caught. Yeah. Will So that first act, you're just like, okay, you're waiting yeah. for it to, to run out. Will she yeah. get caught before she does her mayhem? And I don't want to reveal like, how the movie changes into something else. No, but at the end of the first act, there yeah. is there is a bit of a twist. And yeah. I don't want to say what it is either mm-hmm. uh, because it's actually pretty delicious yeah but i'll say i I, it's i i also guessed it from the poster (laughs) i also guessed it early why are you trying to guess i don't mean (laughs) to it's just like i'm just thinking to myself it can't possibly be just Mm. esther goes to another house and we see it from her perspective they have to do something else right and the thing that i first thought was oh Uh, maybe that turns out that's exactly what they did uh, but i'm not mad because it's actually good like mm. it's actually like a clever thing and they do some fun stuff the movie pick, picks up after that like no, a absolutely lot it it does. Gets really in fact, good there's, in there's the a second lot half. there's a lot it becomes a lot more lurid it becomes a yeah. lot more uh d- just twisted mm. uh there's julia um, styles gets a lot more to do yeah, julia Stiles. like the focus kind of shifts to julia styles in a lot of ways so she she becomes like sort of the focus of it and a lot of the film is mm. uh 
try, trying to get orchestrate scenes where Julia Stiles and Isabel Furman are together. Yeah. And they play off of each other so well. They're really good. <laughs> it gets really delicious. You're right. I think you used the word delicious. It gets really just... Just decadently sleazy in the second half. Everyone's a monster. Like, it's just... Bad things happen constantly, and you're not sure... You're. It gets to the point where you're not sure, like... I don't want to ruin it. It, I, it yeah, we It gets to the point where you're you're not sure what you want to happen mm. after a while, and uh, and I gotta say, all that's fun. My biggest problem with the movie, I have two problems with this movie, really. All right. Well, three actually. The first one is uh, just the structure. It's uh, a little slow at the beginning because we're mm. kind of going through stuff we already know, and it takes a little too long to get to when the movie turns into something else. And I think uh, I think it's about a ninety-minute film. Yeah. You know, the, the first thirty minutes of setup—that's you know, good, good screenplay I don't, structure. I feel, it doesn't feel like thirty minutes though. I'm actually—I think I count. I think it's like closer to halfway through the film. Oh well, which is which is fine. But like, I just feel like I wouldn't have minded if it was longer, so long as when the movie had a little turn, mm. we got more of that. It feels like that stuff was too rushed for me. I could have happily done with another 10, 15 minutes of like the fun and games in the second half. Yeah. yeah. That's what I wanted. That was the good stuff. I wanted less of the, yeah, four, the of the first half mm. and more of the second half, which just would have made it more fun. Yeah. There, um, some of the things that happen in that second half are, they're so delightful. Um, <laughs> I mentioned the rat in the walls. It comes back. Yes, it does. Uh, I'm not going to say how, but it does come yeah. back. It, they're, um, they're setting that up for later. <laughs> have you seen Mommy Dearest? And uh, or not Mommy Dearest? Uh-huh. Um, uh, Baby Jane. Yeah. Have you seen Have you seen whatever happened to Baby Jane? Also, have you seen Mommy Dearest? That's a fun one too. Yeah. Uh, nothing to do with Orphan. Uh, I, I think. Uh, I, th- I think it's just sort of like efficiently sleazy. That's mm. what I appreciate about yeah. it. It's it's pretty brief. It, it sets things up. I like that it goes along sort of a predictable path for a little bit, just long enough for you to uh, be surprised by the twist. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... Uh, it, I think you, it lulls you into the idea of, oh, I know what this movie is. And and it's stylish enough mm-hmm. and uh, professionally put together, because like, it's not cheap. This is actually like yeah. good mid-budget kind of a horror movie. So, like, there's interesting details. Uh, we mentioned that the father is a painter, but he has a twist mm-hmm. uh, with his painting. An actual interesting, like, visual thing they which, bring into the movie. Which, where if he, memory uh, serves, sets up something that actually happens in the first film as well. That, like, Esther mm. does a little bit, uh, right? I think so. I think yeah. so. Like, it's, it works. It's yeah, smart. this idea where uh, he, he likes to paint and then he flicks on a black light and an invisible painting. Well, because he's been doing yeah. invisible, like, glow-in-the-dark paint on top yeah, it's, of it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, some of the stuff they have at, like, the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. Yeah, it's, it's, you know? it's simple and it's kind of juvenile it's fun it's you know it it's a detail like that lends a lot of personality to an otherwise trite thriller yeah he's not just a painter like he has a thing and they actually bond over that um so and you know (laughs) the character of gunnar is such a turd he's such such a sack of crap that that whenever he's on camera and he's like just behaving turd like uh (laughs) It adds a little bit of extra personality. So no, you're like, sorry. okay, this is just like a pretty good thriller. This reminds me of The Boy. Oh, wait, it's from the director of The Boy. Uh-huh. Uh, so that that makes a lot of sense, But the dangerous it? thing is it's also from the director of Brahms The Boy too, Which I didn't see the oh, Brahms Boy. Oh, I hate I, Brahms I know, The Boy too. I uh, know changed the premise of, of The Boy. I love The Boy. The Boy the boy's was... quite good. It's really creepy. It doesn't quite go where you're expecting it to go. It like really gets under your skin. The Boy is an 
excellent thriller. Mm. Like an excellent horror movie. Super creepy premise. It's about a woman who is uh, in, invited to a big mansion in the middle of nowhere. To, and you're told you're going to, to be babysitting, babysitting Brahms. Brahms. Yeah. Are, are, are your, your son? No. Brahms is a doll. But treat him like a real person. We are That's paying your job. You, your job is to treat him like a real person. And if you don't, bad things will probably happen. We're leaving now. Bye. The fuck? And it's super creepy. And you don't know where it's going to go. And it goes to really cool places. Yeah, she, and I love it. She's getting paid so much, though. <clears throat> yeah, she has to do it. And she goes through the motions. And oh, it's, you never know where that movie's going to go. And it goes so great. And then the second movie fucks it up so bad and it's another one where they assume you know the, oh, the first movie and I'm not going to ruin it because um, the boy is so good and not enough people saw it but I Brahms of course the, there's twists in there's the twists. boy yeah. Brahms, Brahms doesn't just like take the first movie and run with it Brahms takes the first movie and said no 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 no. this, this other thing premise. happened yeah, instead yeah. what you saw was bullshit and I'm like no that's what I liked you can't do that. That would be like, imagine if like in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I know some people don't like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, but like, go with me on this. Imagine if in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, like John Saxon came back and he was just like, yeah, all those kids died and everyone thought it was a dream demon, but actually it was a serial killer. It had nothing to do with anything. And we're never going to bring up Freddy Krueger again. What? You can't do that. I've seen so many uh, like horror movies and cheap ass sequels do that that I I've, I'm kind of a nerd to it. But it retroactively when... hurts the original film. Is the okay. problem? That's my problem with it. I don't mind a shitty sequel. Mm. What I mind is them saying the first movie and everything you liked mm. doesn't count anymore. Here, that it, pisses me off. Here, here's my thought on that. You have to watch films in reverse order now. Start with <laughs> start with the newest and work your way back to the original. Don't go and well, then don't the go fir- forward. Well, then the boy sucks. Then the boy went from a great movie to a shitty movie because if you watch it in reverse order, it doesn't work at all. But the it would make the boy too. Like you wouldn't have that in your mind. I know, but the boy too wouldn't still wouldn't be very. Good. Oh, uh, maybe not. But here's what I'll say: he directed Orphan First Kill. Orphan mm-hmm. First Kill, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Again, I think the pacing's a little bit off. My biggest issue with it, though, is actually the lighting. Which is just dim too much of the time. Oh, maybe, lo- maybe my TV was different. But yeah, I, I didn't have any issues with that. I, I had some issues with it. I just feel like there was enough of a. And it's frustrating because I saw it kind of back to back with Clute. Okay. Which is one of the best shot movies like of the 70s. Um, we, yeah, we, we actually talked a little bit about the photography of Clute yeah, we, we did our podcast yeah, on it. We did Critically Reclaimed a couple of days ago, if you want to go back and listen to that. But uh, Gordon Willis, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. Uh, shot the movie Clued. It's a suspense thriller about uh, Jane Fonda as a sex worker who's being stalked by a killer and Donald Sutherland's trying to protect her. Um, Really, really good. Uh, Clued is, you know, a lot of it's in the day, whatever, but like half the movie is an inky shadow. But it's never unclear what's going on. It is yeah, always the, clear the, the what's sh- going the on. The shadow is very deliberate in that. Yeah, one. the shadow it deliberately is creating mood, but it's not creating visual confusion. You always know exactly what's going on and how you're supposed to feel about that. Mm-hmm. Orphan First Kill, there's some sh- sequences in this movie where they're just kind of like weirdly dim and hazy and the framing wasn't great. And mm-hmm. I honestly... Just didn't think it captured what they were trying to capture, right, there, and I found it frustrating. I thought that there was some interesting camera stuff going on. There's, a, there's some. A, there, there's a, 
not to give too much away, but of course there's a, a big climactic rooftop scene, and uh, <laughs> it's that kind of you know it's coming. Yeah. You've seen you saw the roof at the beginning. It's Chekhov's roof, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Chek. Almost everything in this is Chekhov's something, <laughs> except for one thing. And I was like, oh, I know where that's gonna go, and then it never came back. And mm. I was like. Oh, bummer. That actually sounded cool. All right, never mind. Not a big deal. Just a weird thing that never never followed but, up yeah, on. But yeah, I, I think they, they've got some... In, like, you could tell that they weren't really shooting on a rooftop, but oh, there course. were a few interesting shots and angles that they used to obfuscate that that sure. actually were visually interesting. I'm not saying the cinematography was bad. I'm saying the lighting was a little dim too much. Uh, and that, oh. and it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. I just think the movie would have been a little bit stronger if there had been a little bit more... Uh, visual clarity. I guess that's yeah. uh, one advantage. Um, if you see this in a th- if you see a movie mm. in a theater and yeah. it's too dim, uh, it, there's not anything anybody can really do about that mm-hmm. uh, at, at like a multiplex. Yeah, like you can adjust the brightness on a projector, mm-hmm. or, but you got to actually have someone in the projection booth yeah, who, who's like, ready with, to with, do with that. With the savvy, you can do it on a moment's notice. And mm. guess what? They're cutting costs. They, there's maybe one person in the whole booth yeah. uh, running multiple movies yeah, they're, simultaneously. They're gone uh, are the days when one projectionist stood there for the whole movie mm. in the vast majority of theaters. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, so if it's dim... You're kind of stuck in a multiplex. What's, uh, what's if, the dimmest movie you ever saw in a theater? Oh, what is the dimmest movie you ever saw? There were a couple I saw that just, they were so dim that I couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I can't think me, of a, a context For where... me, the worst offender was the uh, movie Slender Man. Yeah, I, I've heard that the film was just photographed badly. I like from what I said. Oh, you know what? Um, Alien versus Predator. Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the second Requiem, one. The second one. Yeah, second that one one's that, fucking brutal. That one you can't see anything. You can't um, tell what's going on. It's I, rough. I saw one of, I think it was one of the Maze Runner sequels. If you remember oh, those movies. I think, um, I think it's the third one that takes place at, a lot of it at night. Yeah, that, yeah, that third one is really dim. And the second one was out of focus. Oh, that sucks. Which, and and I, I complained multiple times. Yeah. Change it a little bit? No, I, so I got to see it really I, kind of blurry That sucks because I actually think The Scorch Trials is a very well photographed film. Uh, well, like I they really because it was out of focus. That sucks. Uh, I, I actually really liked that movie, <laughs> and I had to review it that way. Oh, I couldn't, that I couldn't just. It's like you know what? Oh, this I is this is my presentation. That's yeah. all I got. I can. The only thing I can run with. Yeah. Um. I, but when you're watching something at home, you know, you, you actually can, you have adjustments if brightness you controls. Yeah. And you can actually adjust that. I try I, not I a lot to of, do that though. I I have, I have like my TV set at like the optimal settings in mm-hmm. order to like approximate like what. Every TV has certain settings, and you can find them. A lot of people list them. They're on a lot of tech websites where uh, you, get, you know, them, get them from the store. They're typically really bright, and you might yeah. want to turn that down. You want to turn that down. Basically, there's one basic setting wherein you're going to find, like, basically, here's what the filmmakers intended for you to see, mm. more or less across the board. Uh, and I try not to fuck with that. Yeah, the, the issue with, uh, with keeping it the way it is and... This is an issue with streaming in general is we don't know. We don't know what kind of color bars they're using when they're calibrating these pictures for streaming. It might be a little bit different. Um, There's no guarantee. Yeah, I I know that uh, there are certain... If you were to get, uh, before it was put on the Criterion Collection, if you got uh, David Lynch's uh, Eraserhead Mm -hmm. uh, DVD, uh, and and collectors know about this, David Lynch had the rights to Eraserhead. He was like, Mm -hmm. it was all his. It was his movie. And he decided to distribute it himself, and you could only get it for forty dollars, you know, Criterion mm. level, and big he, old set. Yeah. And he and he sent it to you in this gigantic box, yeah, 
like this, it's like the size of a lunchbox. Yeah, it took and, it uh, took up like an entire shelf. Yeah, like it was it a big deal. Really stood out. You know, if if you are trying to neatly line things up on a bookshelf, he fucked with you. Uh, <laughs> you have to present a razor head. Yeah, the uh, world must know that it's in your house. Head. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and you put it in, and the movie wouldn't play until you had adjusted the visuals. Yeah. Like a, you got him right, and yeah. he even said TVs are too bright, and oh, this needs to be watched a, real, real dim. A lot of video games do that too, especially like horror games, where they're mm. like, "Listen, you're, this is supposed to be dark, but it is supposed to be clear." Mm. So they have a thing like you need to adjust the, the, and they're not doing it on your TV; they're doing it within the game itself, which mm. is nice because then you don't have to readjust your TV constantly. But it's basically like adjust the darkness until like this square barely is barely thing, yeah. visible; like it can't be invisible because then it's just black on black. He's barely visible. And then you're in the sweet spot. Yeah. That's something that I think a lot of uh, people yeah, don't necessarily I, find. Yeah. I, I And I, I think people don't have the patience. Sometimes people don't even know how to adjust their, their TV set. Some people don't understand the significance of it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's you're going to run the risk of running something really bright. Maybe yeah. it's a dim film where everything mm-hmm. will be visible and that's going to take away from the effect. Yeah. You can uh, do it. The, the opposite can be true. Yeah. You don't know. That's the, that's know. the issue. So, yeah, maybe it was something about your TV adjustments. Maybe I think my about, TV is fine. Uh, I try to be careful. I'm guessing you, you watched know. it on a screener or from... I watched it on Paramount+. Paramount. Plus. Okay. I watched so, it on Paramount+. Plus. So, yeah, maybe something about the way Paramount put it out. Theoretically, Paramount should be putting it out correctly, but who knows? Yeah. yeah. It's it's unfor- yeah. Unfortunately, we can't check. Yeah. I'm, listen, it, it doesn't kill the film, but I found... The other thing I will say about the movie, it's one scene, and it pissed me off. It's not a big deal. Mm. It's a little thing. There's a scene in a movie... Where someone is at home, mm. and they're cutting something on a cutting board, uh-huh. and when they're done, they take the knife and they stab it into the cutting board, mm. so that's sticking straight up. Yeah. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, "Are cutting boards free? <laughs> You're not rich. The guy who first does this isn't rich. He's just a working class guy. You're gonna fuck up your cutting board, and not for nothing." You're going to dull that knife. And I kept thinking to myself, someone's going to get stabbed with that thing and it's going to be really hard to kill someone. Because it's like, ah, damn it, what did you do <laughs> so, to this knife? So dull. <laughs> what did you do to this knife? I'm just poking you. I'd love to see that. Like, yeah. somebody grabs the knife and, like, goes to stab somebody it just doesn't go in. It's just like, like, a butter knife. It, just, it's, like, it hurts, but it's not going to kill them. Like, you get it through the, the, the muscle mass, you know? <laughs> that really hurt. Ow, stop it. Uh, Little thing. I was, it made me okay. laugh in, this, um, in the moment. I admit, uh, I mm. when I thought it was a, a young hotshot, I, I figured out to it was a very specific knife. I could flip it up in the air and have it land point down in a Ooh. in a cutting board, like not not like you know zinging it. Like yeah, not like multiple a, rotations, not like one fancy ro- one rotation, and it would land in like the cutting board. It, okay, and it, and it worked like maybe forty percent of the time. So I got pretty, <laughs> what? Pretty, what happened on the other? Are you, are you missing a toe now? Uh, they put it back on, and That's uh, good. no, I didn't cut off a toe. <laughs> of course. Um, and yes, of course, I dropped the knife a couple of times, and yeah. sure, it was plenty dull, but we had a little sharpening stone. Okay. Also, it's a cutting board. A knife is going to be drawn through that a lot. You can stab something into a cutting board if you want to. stab into it. You're not supposed to, but it's not like, like a grievous injury. I'm not saying it's a grievous injury. I'm just saying you're not going to buy a new cutting board anytime soon. You're going to fuck up that cutting board. I suppose And then so. you're going to be like rolling out some dough or something on it, and it's going to have like a weird lumpy bit from where like the knife stabbed in, and you're going to say, so why do I have this lumpy bit? And you're oh, right, because I'm a, an asshole. And you're going to lose that peanut butter cookie competition at the state fair. You are! Because there's a little divot, and they saw it. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, back, back on track. Orphan first kill. Uh, 
sleazy. Mm. Sleazy fun. Sleazy, mostly fun. I think, I, I think it's... Gets, it, if you're not into it in the first half, stick it out. Mm. It gets more fun. It gets better. It, it gets, more, gets it, better. Second half is uh, a lot better than the first. First I, uh, half is fine. I appreciate that they rolled with the sleaziness of the original. It mm. understands why people have sort of mastered out in a cult sort of way. Mm. Uh, and yeah, they're... They're taking uh, the reputation of Orphan, and yeah, they're just sort of pushing it forward. They're trying yeah. to do something kind of new and interesting with yeah. the same tone, and yeah. I, I appreciate that. I think, not, I think they found the way. I think, yeah, yeah again, structurally, Who, maybe... Whoever, have, whoever yeah. put this together understood what the first one was and what yeah. the story required. Yeah, they weren't trying to make it something else. They weren't mm. trying to pretend... They weren't, like, ashamed of it. They just threw themselves in, and for the most part, it really, really works. And again, I can't go into too much more detail without talking about stuff mm-hmm. that happens in the movie. But Julius Stiles, MVP. <laughs> Just thank you for bringing Julius mm. Stiles back and giving Julius... Because it's the same role for a minute that Julius Stiles played in that remake of The Omen. Yeah. Where she's yeah. the mother of the creepy kid. The, and you're just like, oh, role, is, she, yeah. is she pigeonholed? Like, no, she's got... Fun mm. stuff to do. She's going to be a great... Golly, great yes. And there's oh, yeah. other twists upon other twists. Yeah, it's uh, good yeah. stuff. All right. Uh, let's talk about the biggest film that we saw this weekend that opened theatrically. The biggest film of the weekend theatrically was a new Dragon Ball movie. That's a, like an animated one. An anime Dragon Ball movie was... And this is cool, actually. Now, I'm not a big Dragon Ball fan. I haven't seen mm. a lot of it. I've and no, there's like 20-some Dragon Ball movies. Kinda, there's a lot. It's yeah. hard to jump in. There's so much of it, and I have no disrespect whatsoever for Dragon Ball. Just never... No, I never had anyone to guide me through it, and I never had the time to do so. So I shouldn't go see that anyway, just because it's clearly not made for me. But I love that it was the number one movie of the weekend, and quite sizably so. It made almost like 50... It made almost like twice as much as, as Beast. Oh, weird. All right. Yeah, it made a lot. It made like $20 million. It's the second highest... Uh, uh, no, it's the third highest opening weekend, I think, for any anime movie in America after the first Pokemon movie. Okay. And uh, the, I think it was is it Demon Slayer? Demon it was Slayer. A, there was a movie that came out last year uh, that uh, did really, really well. It was a huge hit. I know a lot of, a lot of the anime films uh, mm. that come to theaters in the United States, uh-huh. uh, first of all, they're they're usually like dubbed to crap. Uh, yeah. You, it's you, you won't get like a necessarily a great um they're getting better yeah they, they, a, a, a lot, lot of them are, yeah. are edited and redubbed. Yeah. Uh, the dubbing is fine uh i don't have an issue with dubbing in general but mm. uh when it comes to a lot of these anime films they're also recut which some is a little them. odd some of them are recut i i, I don't always know to the mm. extent but the the dubbing i will say this 20 years ago unless you were cowboy bebop and if you were dubs in america the dub probably sucked <laughs> there's probably a lot of poor translations acting which meant well but wasn't you know finely tuned uh there were a lot of dubbing problems um they've gotten better and there are better dubs but the big th- thing i noticed actually and this is just simple observation um anime movies that went theatrical in america until the last couple of years, and except for the, and with the exception of the Pokemon movies, mm-hmm. had very small releases. They were they, art house films. They they were yeah they were released either in the art house theaters or mm-hmm. they like they were like fathom events. They yeah. like played for two days. Yeah, uh, because it was a really niche audience, or they, so they thought. Yeah, and now they released uh, I guess nationwide. Yeah, this this uh, is a wide release Dragon Ball animated. It film, actually which had, we haven't seen. It actually had was in fewer theaters than Beast, but still thousands of theaters. Mm-hmm. And they outgross Beast, and I think between that and I think it was Demon Slayer last year, I hope American studios and indeed distributors mm. are paying attention because the audience in America for anime and manga is Huge. a lot oh, bigger yeah. than people realize. 
a lot bigger. If you do, if you do not, if you're not part of that like fan group, you probably don't realize how huge it is. It's yeah. It it seems. I remember when uh, the AV Club uh, for in mm. the Onion uh, were putting out a series of articles that were trying to make certain fandoms seem less threatening. Yeah. Things that had, uh, I think they started with the Grateful Dead. It's mm. like Grateful Dead has a huge following. They have a gigantic body of work. And if you're mm. on the outside, they're, you're not going to know how to get in. You don't it's know just, how, yeah. you know what so, to do with that. So yeah. they, they wrote an article. Well, here's how to get into the the Grateful Dead. Here's Good how idea. to start. Here's, you know, yeah. here's why it's significant. Here's what the people like to say about it. Here's Like I said with Dragon Ball, I could have used like, yeah. someone to do that. And, uh, I was interested. It's yeah. never they, had the... Uh, and the, they did that with, you know. with anime, just yeah. the, the medium in yeah. general, because anime is presented as, however enormous it is, it's, it's quite still, vast. It's still seen as like a little bit off to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you need you need a key a skeleton key and uh, yeah. like Pokemon is its own vast empire mm-hmm. but it's not one that encourages people to explore the medium further it just encourages yeah. you to explore more, more Pokemon and I think that's true for a lot mm-hmm. of the anime that came to America and was marketed to kids yeah man. Uh, we're just sort uh, of like you know keep, uh, keep getting invested in uh, Studio Ghibli uh, uh, did, did sort of draw people in because yes. I think that if people were into Studio Ghibli they might be drawn over to Satoshi Kon or other filmmakers mm-hmm. who were like having their, their uh, animated films distributed in the United States yeah uh, Dragon Ball is terrifying to me. I, the <laughs> idea of like like just approaching what the like the so mythology is like so there's like there. decades of really complex mythology, and I've seen enough of it to know that it, like it's kind of an assault. Like mm-hmm. people are floating up in the air, firing blasts at each other, and mm-hmm. I have the dragon testicle. Like they keep on saying Dragon Balls as if yeah. they are testicles but that's not what they are no they're just they're orbs they're just orbs they're like magic orbs and, and like yeah. you get them together and you get a wish and once yeah. you get a wish they're redistributed and you have yeah. to get them again and yeah something like that and uh yeah, that's exactly it actually yeah. oh, okay <laughs> no but you got the gist of it but like you know you're right it's a lot to just jump into I, it's like i when i was i've, I've talked about this before uh when i was a kid i watched as the world turns a lot with my mom as mm. the world turns was a very long-running daytime soap opera that my mom had been watching since the 1950s and i of course was born in the 80s so I was, I was, still I, was on the air. I was coming in late. <laughs> it was a lot. They were cast. <laughs> the The show ended with cast members who were on the show in the original run, mm-hmm. still in the cast. Oh yeah, like yeah. it was. It was a big well, legacy thing. Storylines continued a, for decades. You get a lifetime gig when you're on a. Soap. Yeah, it's great. So I loved it, but I there's no way I could have penetrated it or been interested enough to stick it out until I did find my bearings without my mom to say okay that's that's lucinda walls she is an asshole now let me tell you about all the shit she did to her ex-husband john dixon and here's why they're still fucking and it's like (laughs) awesome it's so great it was so cool and it was great and i loved it you had someone who was excited and interested the best kind of gatekeeper the person who says here's the gate come on in and let me show you around awesome so and long story short we didn't review dragon ball we're excited that it did well. Good for them. Mm-hmm. And I hope it actually leads to more anime getting bigger releases in America because the audience is here and mm-hmm. they didn't want to take a chance on it and then they finally did and it paid off. That could be a good thing. More yeah, international yeah. cinema making money in America. Cool. It, it would be nice. Uh, it would be an interesting experiment to open it opposite something uh, that has a little bit more clout and like general interest than something like Beast. True, uh, but like finding a good opening weekend for your movie is a big part of the art yeah, form of releasing true. movies, no matter uh, what your movie is. Beast uh, 
should not be called Beast. That's a boring title. It, it is. Should, it should be called Idris Elba Fist Fights a Lion. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we're here for. Yeah. And golly, the film provides. Uh, it, it is... It it looks real cheap, uh, this yeah. movie. Uh, well, it does and it doesn't. The, the camera work is actually really elaborate and interesting. The, the camera work, in fact, uh, the, the director is really determined to, in... Um, uh, Children of Men um, director Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron, Cuaron kind, kind of, of way, way yeah. uh, trying to put as many extended oneers yeah. in this as possible. So there are a lot yeah. of elaborate shots where people like are in a car, get out, go yeah. inside a building, look around, all in real time. And the the movie, sort of the movie around. is directed by Baltazar Cormaker, who is uh, he's an Icelandic director. Uh, he probably I'm trying to think. He did that movie Contraband, which he ended up I think remaking himself. Uh, in America, he did that movie Two Guns with Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington. He did that disaster movie Everest, which is the hugest cast, and they're kind of all wasted. In America, I don't know. I'm not familiar with terribly with his Icelandic work, yeah, but in America, a, he's he's basically a perfectly functional genre he filmmaker. Did, uh, he did a a, mm. a thriller back in uh, 2000, or a comedy film back in 2000 called uh, 101 Reykjavik. Oh, we're familiar with that one. What kind of got a little bit of traction in the art house circuit? The 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 person who I think probably because I've seen his films, they're well shot, but they're not necessarily like wow. Uh, The person who I think probably had a lot to do with how good Beast looks is Philippe Russolo. It's the the cinematographer. Yeah, Oscar winning cinematographer Philippe Russolo. He has directed some uh, photographs. Sorry, some really excellent movies. Uh, let's see. He did Dangerous Liaisons. He did Henry and June. He did, well, he did Diva. He did Jean Jacques Di- Benet's yeah. film. He uh, won an Oscar for River Runs Through It, I believe. Uh, he did Interview with a Vampire, which is gorgeous. Did Henry and June. Mm-hmm. He did Constantine. Mm. He did uh, 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 the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes. He did The Nice Guys. He did a couple of Fantastic Beasts movies, and now here he is with an unfantastic beast, which is ironically better than the Fantastic Beasts movies. A, a lot is better than the Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> well, that's. Somebody uh, was culling through one of those Fantastic Beasts films and found a, a magic fight that took place in like this neutral white background. Oh yeah, it's like and it's, it looks so cheap. It, it lo- a it looks really cheap, and it, you have a neutral white background, and then they still violated like the axis of action rule. Mm-hmm. That is, when you're filming a scene, it's supposed to be sort of like a proscenium. Yeah, and you don't put the camera up on stage and point it back toward where the audience is. Like uh, you don't change, you don't change 180 degree uh, angles let, for clarity's sake. Let, let me, let me clarify that just because it's a little, uh, uh, basically when, imagine you're watching a movie and two people are talking. Mm. One person is on the left. One person is on the right. You can change the camera angles all you want, but if the person on the left is still on the left, mm. it's not going to be visually confusing. If, on the other hand, in the middle of that conversation, you suddenly put in one shot where the person on the left is now on the right and vice versa, your brain is going to have trouble processing it. It's going to be a distraction, even if you can't figure out what's going on, and it's not fucking recommended. No, like, you can... It's not a, a law. It's, no, you know, it's just some, a, some people have played with yeah. it to great Absolutely, effect, yeah. but you have it's to know an, why you're doing it's it. It's just an aesthetic choice, and you know, it's a way of keeping a, a certain kind of visual continuity. And yeah, uh, it's a yeah, baseline they, uh, that almost every movie and TV show follows without even thinking about in it. In one of those, in one of those films, there's a yeah. Dumbledore and Grindelwald are having a wand fight, and in this like pocket dimension and the camera just switches 180 degrees and they just switch sides yeah and one of and they're vanishing and reappearing next to each other you don't know what the fuck is going on in that you don't. scene you don't. it's so badly put together yeah uh so i wish uh he had brought some of that 
to Fantastic Beasts. Some, like, well, that one, that one he Beast. didn't shoot. Oh, well. That was the most recent one. He only did the first two Fantastic Beasts. So you well, can't blame him for, for maybe, Secrets of Dumbledore. Maybe he should have been on, you know, on Secrets maybe, of Dumbledore. They could have so. avoided that. Um, yeah, he but, was too busy yeah, making Beast. Beast is about Idris Elba. He plays Idris Elba. He plays a doctor. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, traveling to South Africa with his two daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, their mother has recently passed. There's a lot of resentment in the family. Yeah. He. They had recently separated and then she was diagnosed with mm-hmm. cancer. And then she passed away really, really quickly. And he wasn't. He was kind of absentee at that time, and the kids resent him for it. Perfectly understandable yeah, under uh, the situation. And he is trying to make up for it by a taking them on a big trip to South Africa, and b the reason they're in South Africa is it's where their mother was born and raised, and they're visiting her hometown. Uh, and there's like pictures of her standing next to like a particular tree, and they mm. want to go visit the tree. Yeah. Um, uh, because it takes place in South Africa, of course, Shoto Copley is going to show up. <laughs> Shoto Copley, <laughs> who of course is Chappie. Uh, and other things as well, but mostly you know him from Chappie. I feel like I need to rewatch Chappie because I didn't know it was a Deontward movie going in. They play themselves. They play themselves. It's weird. I, and I think if we were to look at it like Hard Day's Night, Spice World, Chappie is like the Deontward yeah. film. That's why I kind of uh, liked that movie when it came out. No one was talking about how fucking weird that was because <laughs> no one in America knew who Deontward was. And it turns out they, they've got problems. But like as, had, a, as a construct, like, uh, it's weird. They had like a, a minor hit or two at the time in the yeah. United States. But yeah, big in, in yeah. South Africa. Um, look up Deontward. They're very strange They're South very African hip hop not, not everything about them is cool, but uh, it was weird that yeah. they played themselves in a sci-fi movie set in the future where they befriended a police robot <laughs> that got artificially intelligent and Hugh Jackman in short shorts had to fight it. Weird film. Yeah. Not, not, not necessarily a good one. Everyone but was like, oh, it's strange. Short Circuit. And I'm like, you are remembering Short Circuit. Very weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not what happened in Short Circuit but, at all. Uh, they did the, the robot Chappie using yeah. motion capture technology. And, and Charlton Copley yeah. was the was Chappie. Yeah, he was also uh, in District 9. He was in Maleficent. He's a good actor. He, he's a good actor. Uh, yeah. He was in the A-Team. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he's there. To, he's like the guide. Yeah, he's also you, kind of the damsel in distress. He's the one who's going to get injured and yeah. will need rescue. Well, the idea is they're going off to this place, and it's kind of a wildlife preserve. There's a lot of wild cats there, but there's also a lot of poachers. And in the opening scene, and a lot of people are going to have trouble watching this scene because there's a lot of animal violence. Mm. It's, it's CGI. It's, it's fake. But well, also, it's, also, there's not not anything. Not, not, bla- brazenly on camera. Nothing too graphic, yeah. but the scene is about these poachers kill almost an entire pride of lions. There's one lion left, and that lion suddenly becomes John Wick. <laughs> and it just starts killing everybody, and it's super powerful, and nothing can hurt it. Mm. And honestly, I'm totally down. Yeah, and they, uh, and they, they're, he's killing all these people. Idris Elba and his family are inadvertently walking into his lair. And Charlton Copley is like the wildlife game warden in the area. And he's guiding them through. And of course, he's injured immediately because if he wasn't, he could help them out. Right. <laughs> so, so it's going to be go. up to Idris Elba and, and his two daughters, who are, they're young. They're like yeah, 13 and 10. Yeah, you know, and, uh, young teens at most, yeah. yeah. Uh, they are they're all kind of helpless and he's a doctor yeah. so he knows how to treat injuries mm-hmm. but you know they they're not like badasses with weapons no no I mean, we, he's, he's still Idris Elba he's however, fit I was like, gonna yeah. say but he's Idris Elba yeah. so we know that the fight is coming yeah. uh, 
there's yeah a lot of really elaborate shots there's uh some a really interesting use of camera work there's a great dream sequence where oh yeah that's just a, sort of drifts around inside a car very and creepy. Just, like a lot of really cool images Th- that was there. the one part in the movie where like i guess you know it's a thriller you're supposed mm. to like oh no the cat's right there mm. uh that dream and i'm not gonna say where in the film it happens because it's yeah i'm supposed to know it's a dream yet mm. that dream was the one part of the movie where it got me like oh shit yeah <laughs> like they got me good job well done yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah, a, a, f- a few jump out boo gotcha kind of moments yeah. uh because there's of, a lot of a lot of like shots of like these like uh, th- these vast vistas where there's a lot of uh, foliage and trees and the cat could be anywhere and you don't know where it's going to be and then oh shit there it is. Mm. Ah! Uh, d- despite li- these li- sort of vast vistas, I feel like this almost feels like it was shot on the fly. This has a yeah. very uh, grungy kind of B movie vibe to it. This is a movie Roger Corman could have shot in three days in Griffith Park in the 1950s. Yeah, it, it has that kind of a yeah. vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, this. This sort of like Jaws knockoff, like late 70s kind of animal yeah. attack picture. It's a B-movie programmer. That's what it is. And and that, I think, works in its favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what makes it fun when it gets really corny and shallow. You're still kind of on its vibe yeah. in a Jaws sequel kind of a way. Yeah. Like, I'm uh, not asking for much from you, Beast. And by God, you're delivering. So, yeah. Like, the, the, the tension is... Kind of where it needs to be, yeah. Uh, and of course, it all builds up all, in a way, kind of a in, almost suddenly to the climax at the end, where we uh-huh. Idris Elba is just going to have to fight this thing. Yeah, there's there's and, uh, and it's not it's not as exciting as like say the bear mauling scene from the Revenant. No, no, uh, it's not as intense as that. But it's still it's still it's still pretty it's good. Still, and you know what? It's a CGI lion. Mm. It looks pretty good. I I never mm. like was like distracted by it. It actually looks pretty convincing. I was yeah, fine well, with I, it. After John, I know uh, John Favreau's The Lion King. Yeah, uh, was you know they had a. Well, billions of dollars to work with on that one. Oh, well, but, fuck, uh, I mean, fuck the Lion King. Go back to Jungle Book, where Idris Elba played a tiger. Oh, that's right. And that was a very convincing tiger in that movie. And I would like to point out that Beast finally comes to the, brings us the conclusion of Idris Elba's Bad Cat trilogy. <laughs> where he, he was, was a... he was Shere Khan. He was the bad guy yeah. in the Jungle Book. Uh, well, not he, not a great movie. <laughs> not. A, I liked it fine actually, yeah, but I, like I, I, I don't like that Jungle Book. I liked it fine. It's better than the Lion King. Uh, that's uh, for sure. The, the remake, by the way. Uh, it's he was McCavity in Cats. Very bad movie. Entertainingly bad, but very bad movie. <laughs> are, are you kidding? You got to go McCavity. <laughs> As he vanished into thin air. Bless him for it. Threw himself into the role and probably shouldn't have. And now, and now, finally, after playing two bad cats, here he gets to fight the bad cat. It's like he's fighting something within himself. <laughs> he's trying to rid himself of the bad cat films he's appeared in before. But like, Idris Elba is a cat. He's a he. He's got that vibe. He's got that very like. You know that he's tough and he could claw you, but also like you kind of want to hear him purr. Like you kind of want to just hug him. Like he's he's very I, uh, he's tough, but he's so friendly and he works well as this dad who actually is like feels really bad about everything by failing his kids. It, in some respects, this is yet another bad dad action movie, like Taken, where oh, yeah, I, I fucked try, up. I was an absentee. Trying to make, make good by doing an action hero. Thing. Yeah, like yeah. I, the, I, the only way for me to make it up to my kids and be a good father again is to somehow be in a situation where being macho is the only way to survive. Mm. Um, and this is a, one of the better examples of that. It works better than most, but it is that. Uh, the, the weakest part of the movie is its script. The dialogue in this movie sucks. It's functional. Uh, it's a very it functional is, screenplay. It, it, it's, it just does what it needs to do. It's almost like, you know, insert line here kind of dialogue. You, you weren't there for me and mom. 
I'll make it up to you. Like it's yeah. it's really very bare bones kind of dialogue. Yeah. To to a point where it's like almost obnoxious. This is the kind of movie that if it had come out in like 2000, mm. Kevin Smith would have been like hired to polish the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. They used to just get like interesting they probably still do, and if they, they did, they didn't beast. They failed. But, like, they used to just get interesting, like, writers to just come in. and For example, Quentin Tarantino polished the dialogue on Crimson Tide. Okay. So if you're ever wondering when you're watching Crimson Tide, why is there an extended sequence where people are fighting about popular culture, in particular the comic book Silver Surfer? Quentin Tarantino wrote that. I wonder where that came from. If you're wondering why in Coyote Ugly, there's an extended sequence in which a guy who's dating one of the Coyote Ugly waitresses goes through a whole bit where he's like buying under the table. Like, I think it's an old Punisher comic book. It's because Kevin Smith wrote that. (laughs) So I just want a scene in Beast where they're talking about comics. Um, I mostly like Beast. Beast is a very functional B movie. It works mostly well. It's a. a It's a. Good. I'm not going to say great. It's a good Saturday matinee. The kind of film that I could have pictured teenage me Mm -hmm. seeing like multiple times in a summer when I had just had a lot of free time. Yeah, I'm with you. But there's a couple of things that are a problem with it, and a couple of moments that like there's a couple of moments when like the daughters know that their dad is out there like in the jungle being hunted by a lion, and if the lion finds them, their dad is dead, Mm -hmm. and they decide to just scream at him on the walkie-talkie, and I'm like, the daughters are not portrayed as not particularly bright. They know that that's dangerous. Why are you doing that? That doesn't track. I know you're scared, but they're scared and just imprudent. And it just doesn't, <laughs> it does not track. So that was, that's a little thing, but I found a little, that's there because the screenplay wanted them to, not because the characters yeah, would do yeah. it. It's one of those movies. There's one plot point towards the end of this movie, and I cannot, it's too late in the film for me to describe, it'd be rude. Okay. But keep an eye out when you watch the movie Beast, or if you've already seen it. There's something we find out Towards the end of the movie, about uh, about a certain place, that's like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Now I want you to think about that place's proximity is a two-minute walk from this other place, and why that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's I, I think it's just a matter of uh, not doing uh sort of space very well like there could have been a, a shot mm. where we see how far they're driving it in order still to get doesn't to make that place. no it they but though no, they very clearly because at one point Idris Elba walks it so it can't be further than that oh yeah you're right it makes no sense there's a plot a big plot point towards the end of this movie there's a big revelation not a twist just oh I didn't know that and once you know it mm. you realize that the ending makes no fucking sense whatsoever at all mm. And I'll let it go. It doesn't kill the movie, but it is hilarious how poorly thought out it is. Like, it's hilarious that no one thought of that. Like, it just <laughs> makes me laugh. Anyway, Beast, fun, kind of dumb. It could be worse. Fun, fun, dumb, lion nonsense. Yeah, Idris Elba, I, I Idris Elba mostly makes it work. I admire Idris Elba. Idris Elba is an English actor, mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, I've noticed this about English actors, actors from the Isles, and their work ethic, where they'll take any job. Yeah. I noticed this with Anthony Hopkins. He's Welsh, yeah. but uh, just it doesn't matter if he's playing, you know, a really high-minded 
prestige picture that mm-hmm. could get him award nominations, or if he's playing, you know, Instinct or some like really really trashy <laughs> never thriller. Saw Instinct. You never saw Instinct. No, I heard it was terrible, but I, I wanted to say. Uh, well, for example, like okay. what was like the first? He, he did that movie, The Father, a couple of years ago. He yeah, won an Oscar great. for it. Yeah. He won an Oscar for it. I think he's mm-hmm. the oldest person to win an Oscar for Best Actor. Good for him. Mm-hmm. I think he might be the oldest person to win an Oscar at all now, actually. He's, um, uh, might be might have been older than Christopher Plummer. I think I'm to c- competitively, anyway. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Lifetime achievement. In any case, he won an Oscar late in his career. Good for him. Everyone thought it was going to go to Chadwick Boseman. I think it should have, but whatever. We're past it. And then what does he do afterwards? The most recent film I saw him in was a piece of shit called <laughs> Zero Contact. <laughs> That was, like, shot on a Zoom call, and it's very clearly they got Anthony Hopkins, like, some leftover interview footage that has nothing to do with the movie, and then they got him to ramble some, like, two minutes of half-remembered exposition, and then they got him the fuck out of there Mm. so people with, like, a fraction of the talent of Anthony Hopkins can debate whether or not to press the return key on their laptop for an hour and a half. It is... It sucks. (laughs) But by God, Anthony Hopkins was not busy that weekend, Mm. and he did your movie. And he'll he'll do it. And he'll do it. And I feel that that way about Idris Elba. He's he's not seeking out the the big project. He's seeking out a job. Yeah, and I, and I feel like that. And he'll treat it really good, and he'll make good movies. Damn it! And and I, I always like I uh, like talking to English actors. I've got to interview a couple. Yeah, where who just have this really bizarre filmographies. Like they'll yeah. do the you know I'm gonna do Chekhov this one day, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna put on leather vinyl and kill a vampire, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna play the Pope. And it's like, yeah, uh, what, what are you doing? <sighs> what am I doing? I'm acting. Yeah. <laughs> He's, okay. Yeah. So that this is what Idris Elba is doing. He's not concerned with his image. He's acting. Yeah. If somebody comes yeah. to you and say, "Hey, you want to play the villain in a Star Trek film?" Sure. <laughs> yeah. You play a character named Kroll. Okay. You you used to be human, but now you're alien. All right. <laughs> the, okay. Great. <laughs> I I love that. I love that that yeah. work like attitude. I, I, a I, lot of a I lot of acting. I knew Jared Harris once. What a fun guy he was mm-hmm. was to talk to, and he was for uh, the movie The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, which is a very <laughs> sleazy PG thirteen oh, movie. God. Of all of those like post Twilight movies, that one is fucking weird. It's very strange. It would have done better to like be super sexed up. Like it's yeah. supposed to be about. It probably should have been an R rated yeah. like kind of like you, blade. You, you, type you thing entered into this of... cult of like tattooed fetishists who yeah. are like monster hunters. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. But I interviewed him for it, and we were talking about because it was like you did all this classical training, and here you get to fight people. Tell me about your fight training, and he's like, "Yes, I learned rapier and dagger." <laughs> like, he, he was so proud. He got to actually use his fight training from the theater. He was so cool. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, uh, Kate, Kate Beckinsale. I, mm. I was I got to interview her about um, uh, Love and Friendship. Oh, I'm so which jealous. Is really, which is really That's like cool. her best role. It's, it's such a good it's, movie. Yeah, it's yeah. one of her best roles. It's a yeah. really great movie. And I love I, that movie. It's like so you're doing Love and Friendship. You got to talk. You know, doing Jane Austen. You were just talking. She was just talking about doing Chekhov, and, but she also did the Underworld films. Yeah. And like you know, Total Recall remake. She's been yeah. in some like big genre films as well. She's like, and and yeah, her attitude was, yeah, that's just where my career goes. Yeah. Sometimes I have to like really delve into check off, and that can really hurt. And you know, she did Snow Angels. If you ever saw that film, mm-hmm. which is really intense, and yeah, and then yeah, and sometimes I just have to be fit and fire a machine gun. I see. If you hear crinkling in the background, that's a cat. Dante has found a box with some paper in it, and Dante has decided that that's the coolest place to be. Yeah. <laughs> Dante is in a box paper, and he's super I, cute. I, I bring that up because I feel like. Just as just sort of my perception, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like American actors 
tend not to have similar attitudes. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very careerist, especially when you talk to them in interviews. Yeah, but, but uh, the big ones do anyway. They yeah. want to like focus on. I want to make sure my career has a trajectory. Yeah, like look at something like yeah. uh, something. <laughs> look at <laughs> a, an actor like Tom Cruise. Yeah. He's, he produces all his movies. He's yeah. very careful about the kinds of movies he stars. Mm-hmm. He has a very he has a very specific image he wants to convey mm-hmm. to the public as a, a movie star, not as a, yeah. a, a character. And you can tell because look at the rare occasions in which he does step out of that role and how calculated that is. Mm. Like when he was in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah. He did that because that's the exact opposite of what you expected Tom Cruise to do, mm. which was a great choice for Tom Cruise to do at that point in his career because his career had gotten like a little samey at that little, point. Yeah, a little bit of a slam. He had a, had, a couple of, uh, had a couple of duds in a row by then. But like... Yeah, he's so, uh, very focused on, like, he does not have those random weird roles. I feel like there are a lot of, of English actors, and Idris Elba is one of them, mm. who don't give a damn about yeah. their image as an actor. They just want to be hired a lot. And if they do a good job, they'll get hired a lot. And that's yeah. all they're concerned with. Dante, would you mind just getting comfy and snoozing? <laughs> he's playing you know, with a box. He's so, so cute. He's, he's, he's like one year old. He's still a little kitten, really. He's a full-size cat, but he's still a kitten at heart. He's so cute. He's starting to get snugglier. Oh, like he wants, to, he wants to cuddle more now. That we've had him for like a it. month, and he's like starting to get really comfy. It's so cute. Anyway, uh, we have one more movie to review. I did not see this movie. All right, uh, and it um, is a movie directed by someone that we have worked for in the yeah, past. So we have a, to a give little, some full disclosure. So a little back. full disclosure. Um, yeah. This was uh, we've been in her home, and we've met. Uh, yeah, she's her, on her podcast. Her husband, who has actually uh, mm. is credited as one of the screenwriters. Uh, but this is directed by Rebecca McKendry. Uh, yeah, she. We used to write for the Blumhouse website, mm-hmm. uh, which was owned by Blumhouse, but had nothing to do with the actual film studio. No, like no uh, one in the, the film studio was directly connected to it. They were trying to basically turn Blumhouse's like this branch of Blumhouse into like its own kind of Fangoria. Yeah, like a multimedia kind of a thing. Yeah, so we were writing articles about horror history and like stuff like that. It was all, it was so, all like horror. Some there's like some yeah. crime stuff. And yeah, film essays, but mostly uh, horror. Yeah, and uh, so she she ran that site, and so she's she, a, she's she edit- a very cool person. She's very cool. She edited our work. She's yeah. not intimately connected with us in any kind of way, other than we've worked no. together a couple of times. I, I haven't so. talked to her in a long time, actually. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, she she hosts some cool podcasts. You should check them out. Uh, and I believe she still uh, writes for Fangoria oh, sometimes. What, what did I see? I saw recently. Mm. It was, I saw a, film, a horror film last year. It was one of the. Um, Amazon uh, blocks of Blumhouse productions uh-huh. uh, that, that came out. And in one of those films, the one with Barbara Hershey, uh, one of the characters was wearing a Shockwaves button. Oh, uh, yeah. Which was a cute little shout out because that, that, that was her podcast. Yeah, I think uh, that was I think it was the one Axel Carolyn directed. I think that was it. And, then, uh, and yeah. then Axel Carolyn. And, and had a, it had show. a really, uh, really generic title. Like, you know, the, I'll the, look it up. The, Hang on. Like, the, the home or uh, yeah, some something thing. like that. Hang on, hang on. I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Uh, the Manor. The Manor. There you go. And it was directed by Axel Carolyn. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but he, yeah, uh, Rebecca McKendry has branched out into filmmaking. I didn't see her Christmas horror film that she put out on Shutter. Yeah, all, the all the creatures were stirring. stirring. Yeah. Uh, but here she's doing. A, she directs a feature film uh, called Glorious, and uh, it, it has a wonderful elevator pitch. Um, uh, recently dejected we learn more about why why he is the way he is uh stops he's on some sort of road trip played by ryan quantin from true blood really fun actor by the way i like Ryan all of his stuff is in the back of his car Mm -hmm. and uh he's on a road trip going somewhere and he stops at this really dingy roadside rest restroom Mm. 
goes into the restroom. One of the restroom stalls has a glory hole in it. Mm-hmm. That is a hole cut in uh, in the side of the, the stall. The side of the stall in between two stalls, so mm-hmm. people can have exchange of genitals. Yes. Uh, and uh, these were recommended by the CDC by uh, during lockdown. Just, what? Uh, they they said that the best way it's like okay we understand you're going to be out there you're probably going to want to be like having sex with people but you know face to face contact is dangerous you might want to have like a partition or something between you <laughs> face fa- face to genital contact is okay what they're sent- they're recommending glory holes is what they recommend <laughs> wow i had not heard that that's really wild okay so so the, these are government approved Okay. Uh, there's a, Is that a plot point in the movie? Does the government come in and like install it? or No, just okay. something in my brain. Okay. Uh, to, to make the glory hole look interesting, there's a painting around it. Mm. It looks like this big sort of monster is painted around the hole. This and is all right, important to the plot, by the way. This no, is not right, incidental. No, yeah. no the, the, it's called Glorious. It's yeah. named after the glory hole. And uh, Ryan Quantin hears a voice coming from the, the stall. It's mm-hmm. uh, J.K. Simmons' voice. Oscar winner J.K. Simmons. And uh, J.K. Simmons starts to talk to him from the stall. And uh, he's like, "What? what are you, why are you talking to me? What's going on? Uh, he, he's a little bit confused. He doesn't like how intimate the conversation gets as quickly as it does. And J.K. Simmons eventually reveals, mm. uh, actually, now that you're in this bathroom, you can't leave. Brian Quantin's like, what are you talking about? No, well, you really can't leave. And he had a, a little bit of a breakdown outside. He... Uh, was getting really, really drunk over something that happened in his past. We reveal that he is actually trying to get over, uh, that's a girlfriend or a wife. A like bad breakup. The, yeah, he had a bad breakup. I didn't see this when we went in. So he goes, yeah, he goes into, uh, goes into the bathroom, passes out on the floor, wakes up, and this is when J.K. Simmons says, no, you can't leave. And he tries opening the door, and he can't. The door, and he looks out the window, and he sees like a magical purple force field coming up around the the rest stop. Okay. And J.K. Simmons says, okay, if you want to pronounce my name, you have to pinch your tongue. And it turns out he, he he's essentially talking to Cthulhu okay. on the other side of the glory hole. It's like this eldritch elder god from a, a, an H.P. Lovecraft story. Okay. And the film is a two-hander between Ryan Quantin and this elder eldritch god mm-hmm. about sort of the nature of existence. And he gets to, ex- the elder god, J.K. Simmons, gets to explain where he came from. My father's side was split open by an ancient tribe and the blood spread out over the cosmos. And they, and all the people got a little too... Uh, too uh, uh, too, had too much freedom and had too much free agency, so they sent me to destroy mankind. But I, I came to like man. Like he has this really long sort of Lovecraft yeah, like story, history of the universe mm-hmm. plot through my and uh, and after a while he begins to uh, <clears throat> talk about why he's talking to Ryan Quantin, what he needs from Ryan Quantin, and what actually went on in Ryan Quantin's life. A lot of twists, so I can't okay. really say too much more. Uh, <coughs> about but, to say it sounds straightforward, but I guess there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Well, but but it is a conversation. It's a talk piece. This actually okay. could have been a stage play. Yeah, uh, I feel like there is a, a clever way to do this where it's all inside the bathroom stall. I can picture it. it makes mm. you know, it's not a, not difficult staging. Yeah, uh, I feel like the premise is really good uh, for a nice short film, and this is a nice short film. It's about seventy minutes. Okay, uh, pretty tight. And even then, 
I feel like they're kind of straining to make it into more a of a feature. feature. They yeah. could have could have made it maybe forty five minutes and would have worked just as well. I miss Masters of Horror. Remember that? <laughs> it was a great, it, no, great idea. Some Not of them were great. feature length. Some of them were only no, about forty five minutes. No, they were mostly mostly forty five minutes to an hour. There was a there was a short lived uh, anthology series on Showtime called Masters of Horror, and the premise was we're going to get the best horror filmmakers who are alive today, and they got a lot of them. By the way, they got like cool. They got like Stuart Gordon, and they got John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. They got Dario Argento. They got uh, a whole bunch of really cool filmmakers. No, uh, Lucky McKee is still the best. Lucky McKee was still the best, and Lucky McKee was like a last minute replacement for Roger Corman. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, like Roger Corman was supposed to do it. His health didn't allow for it, and so they got Lucky McKee in at the last minute, and he knocked it out of the park. That's mm-hmm. a great one. Um, but uh, the premise was pretty simple. Uh, all of you horror filmmakers, many of you are having trouble getting movies made in the current environment. We're going to give you a limited budget, but you can do whatever you want. Mm. And it's just got to fit into an hour. That's it. Limited budget. You got an hour. Otherwise, total freedom. And some people made some cool stuff. Some people made some shit. But some but people they're all made, creative. But they're all fun. Yeah. Joe Dante's uh, one about uh, 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 the Bush era and zombies is one of my favorite like works of political horror in the last 20 right. years. It's really good. I, so I, 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 didn't, just, I didn't see yeah. a lot of those. I saw John Carpenter's just because I'm a big John Carpenter mm-hmm. fan. I loved Cigarette Burns. That was a good one. Cigarette Burns is real. That's about f- a, a film archivist who's trying to find the film that drives you insane. That it's was like, a cool, that was it's fun. Like an underground cult that, movie. That was written by or co-written by Drew McQueenie, fellow uh, film critic. Oh, he also wrote the other one John Carpenter did, Pro Life, which is not as good. No, Pro Life isn't as good. No, no, uh, Pro Life is actually quite bad. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's about an assault on an abortion clinic because mm-hmm. there's like a demon being born inside and it's it's, it's, it's poorly not, thought not out. Well frankly, thought out. not very well directed for Carpenter either. Like mm-hmm. Cigarette Burns is pretty classy. Pro Life just kind of feels kind of shabby. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, we digress. I mean, I want to say it sounds like a good Masters of Horror premise. Uh, it it is a good Masters of Horror. Pre- well, it's a good Shutter premise mm-hmm. where um I really admire what Shutter has been doing with horror because they've been. They understand their horror audience. This is mm. It's clearly run by a lot of horror people. In fact, I think I know some people on the board at, at Shudder. Uh, and isn't, isn't uh, Ryan Turek one, is of, he working one on of the Shutter? monkey mucks on Shudder now? I know, I know he's... I know he's, he's uh, producing he, a lot of Blumhouse He's producing stuff, movies, yeah. but I don't, I don't know if he's on Shudder or not. Uh, I have no idea. Maybe not. Um, yeah. should look up Ryan Turek at some yeah, point. I it's guess. been a while since I've talked to him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we know people. We're fancy <laughs> industry folks. <laughs> We're just critics. We just we, we've rubbed elbows. We, we've dropped a few names in this episode. Yeah. You interviewed Kate Beckinsale. You lucky so and so. Oh, that was part of my job. I know. I'm, it was I'm, it was contextually significant I'm, to the I'm conversation. I'm not trying to drop like, a name here, but no, 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 uh, no it's fine. Uh, we're not bragging. But, uh, Our lives are not great. I want to make that abundantly <laughs> clear. They are not. They are not, not good in, lives. In, okay. We're not living in golden mansions. We are absolutely uh, not. I don't know what I'm going to have had, for food tomorrow. I, I had a, a ten minute conversation over the phone with Kate Beckinsale once. That's not a claim to fame. No, right? it's quite sad. In fact, actually. I was one of like fifty journalists that day. So it's not no. special. We promise. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of grueling work. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is that Shudder is clearly run by people who love horror, and they, they actually do. have yeah. a lot of different angle uh, angles. 
it's not a huge collection of films on Shutter, but it's and pretty well curated. It's really well curated. They have a yeah. certain kind of classics, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of films that you probably you might have seen, but things that it's like, oh yeah, that's a really good one, and you want to watch yeah. again. And, uh, and to their credit, even if you like you you you're, you're subscribed to Shutter and you're seeing most of their stuff, every month they do add a lot of catalog titles, and every month there's at least a couple of things. Yeah, they, they seen, rotate so. through a lot of interesting horror yeah. titles, and I feel like they're they're doing pretty good on a lot of their original stuff. They take yeah. a lot of international uh, mm-hmm. cinema and they distribute it, and they're doing a lot of these sort of uh, low budget but interesting mm-hmm. idea uh, American horror films as well. And yeah, I feel they go like to a lot of one, film festivals and pick stuff up. And I, yeah. I think they understand about uh, horror audiences is that they're actually longing for new ideas. So they're actually yeah. trying a lot of new kinds of interesting stuff. It's rare that you'll find something totally banal on Shutter, mm-hmm. and I feel like this premise alone is taking it a long way and I feel yeah. like there's enough twists along the way and the more we learn about the Ryan Quantin character the more we learn about the Cthulhu character the more interesting their relationship becomes and mm. it's not afraid however to be completely sleazy because it takes place in this <clears throat> gross rundown bathroom it's about a, it's named after a glory hole uh, and yeah. uh they do talk about what a glory hole is for. Well, yeah, uh, be, be, be weird. It's be, not just this incidental thing. Right? It's yeah. like this is a glory hole. That's yeah. what it's typically used for. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a fun balance between a sleazy kind of humor and uh, a kind of dark conversation between a. Ryan Quantin, who's suffering through a lot and has a bit of a dark personality himself, and uh, immortal mm. evil. Yeah. So uh, again, full dis- again reminder of full disclosure, full disclosure. We happen to know Rebecca McCandry and her the husband. Director of the film, yeah, the director yeah. and the co-screener. We've yeah. been in their home. But we know them well enough to say they're... hello. But yeah. uh, we're and again take it with a grain of salt. Mm. Fair enough. But interesting film. It sounds like interesting film. Yeah, okay. I, I definitely wanted to to talk about it. It's. Its premise is too too kooky yeah. to pass up. You gotta appreciate a, a, a novel premise. It's hard mm. to find, you know. Um, but in any case, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. That's uh, again fewer films than usual, but three ain't bad. Mm. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. We are going to review our films on a scale of C minus to C plus because that is the critically acclaimed way. And uh, here's how it works: uh, C minus is below average. We don't recommend it. It's below average. <laughs> might be really bad. Might just be not very good. But regardless, C minus. A C, average. Mm. Yeah. Some good, some bad. Everything's just kind of okay. Better for one audience than another. That's a C. And C plus is above average. We recommend that. That's above average. That is. It's pretty good. Might even be great. C plus. Whitney, on that mm. note, and again, caveat, in, uh, uh, I almost said inglorious. Glorious. Inglorious Glorious. has to be the sequel, I assume. Sure. <laughs> but Glorious. Uh, Glorious is, is a high C. Uh, just okay. for concept alone, it's really, really fun. I think the dialogue is really interesting. I feel like they could have delved really deeply into so like certain kind of philosophical headspaces, which they don't do. Mm. I think there's a, maybe a little too much technical setup, but yeah, it's one fun, fun, fun premise. All right. uh, Beast. Be- also a C. Okay. Good, efficient B movie. I feel. I feel like yeah. it. It looks and feels cheap. However uh, sophisticated mm. it may have been put together. Yeah. But in a way that services what you're here to see, which is lion violence, <laughs> and it delivers. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a high C. Uh, I, it mostly works. Mm. Uh, there's a few things in it that don't, but nothing that completely torpedoes the film. Mm. I think Philippe Rousselot, uh was clearly trying his best to make the movie like 
better than a movie about two people mm-hmm. stuck in a car for half of it with a lion attacking him could should be. <laughs> and I think he goes a long way, and I think mm-hmm. Idris Elba carries the film pretty capably on his shoulders. Yeah, so man. it mostly works, but yeah, it's kind of uh, uh, s- small ambitions, but it hits most of them. There yeah. you go. Uh, and lastly, Orphan, first kill. Uh, it's almost a C plus. Yeah. Like it, it, it does so many fun things with a, with its twists and with sort of its big reveals. Yeah, uh, Julia Stiles, so good. Bar none, the best part of the movie. Yeah, I really hope uh, I really hope people see this yeah, as you get more work. I, out I like of that it. Isabel yeah. Furman came back to the series and is just there for it. Yeah. Um, and but it's it's not quite wild or lascivious enough. Yeah. It's not way out on the edge enough for me to give it a C plus. So yeah. very, very, very high C. I think if you liked Orphan, <clears throat> you should check it out. I think oh, if, if if you enjoyed it, it you'll get the mostly the good stuff and when the movie decides to change <clears throat> itself into something a little different, you'll really appreciate it. If you're a Julia Stiles fan, definitely check it out. But for the most part I'm with you. It's a high C, it's a bit of a muddle. But the good outweighs the bad, and when the movie finally kicks into high gear, which I think happens a little too late for its own good, but when it finally kicks into high gear, it is really fun until the end. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely, the second half of the movie really, really sings. Yeah. So. It, it does get better and better. It, it gets better and better all the time. So there you go. That's, uh, that is Critically Acclaimed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Critically Acclaimed. We'll be back next week with reviews of other films. I don't remember what's coming out. I could do better at my job. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me take a look at what's coming out next. And Okay, we got um, something called the... In- oh, 3,000 Years of Longing is coming out. More Idris Elba. There you go. It's a George Miller film where Idris Elba yeah. plays a djinn. And, uh, and, no, and it really isn't getting a lot of, a, a lot of uh, advertising, unfortunately, with... A new George Miller movie. You think that'd I'm, be a bigger deal? I'm guessing it's really peculiar, which is uh, yeah, actually a good it. sign. If, if not a lot of advertising is a good sign, if you want an interesting film. Well, in any case, we'll be reviewing that and other things as well on the next critically acclaimed. So, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. We think you're neat. Uh, <laughs> uh, feel free to do a lot of things. Subscribe if you would care to. Uh, you can also subscribe to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network uh, for a variety of tiers. You can get a variety of stuff, including our new podcast, Step Me Up, Step Me Down. We review every single film in the Step Up franchise. Or, only the best, we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Or, All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single film and TV episode in Star Trek. We're going to be doing that for about a decade, so buckle up. We got commentary tracks, we got trivia nights with our patrons, we have uh, Discord hangouts. Uh, and uh, I forget if I mentioned this already, but yeah, you can listen to all of our podcasts free of advertising mm. on Patreon. So head on over there. Also, cool announcement: uh, our Salt Cat Soap is back now. Hooray! Uh, Salt Cat Soap was an Etsy store that my partner Lamas da Silva and I started during the pandemic. Uh, we design and make uh, uh, handcrafted soaps. Initially, this was on Etsy, but Etsy changed the way it functioned, and it really didn't work for us anymore. So we've decided to change it to a Soap of the Month Club that has its own Patreon account. Mm. So you can head on over to patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, and you can sign up, and you can get one to two soaps a month, depending on what tier you have. It is still U.S. only. I apologize for that, but it's just not feasible uh, with the current like shipping rates. Uh, but it is U.S. only, but we have a soap of the month, and we're going to have another soap as well if you subscribe to that tier too. 
come on down. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much to everyone who supported us in the past. We hope you and continue to enjoy the soaps in the future. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this podcast, my God. We would love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter. We like those. Uh, send it to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, Whitney, where are you on Twitter? Uh, oh, I'm at Whitney Seibold on Twitter. And I'm at William Bibiani. Together we are at... Critic acclaim, and uh, feel free to follow at Saltcat Soap for more updates on future soaps and links to things and fun stuff to have. Uh, and yeah, I guess that's it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Don't forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>